What's going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast and making her long-awaited return. I don't think it's... You've been on the show maybe like a couple months after you graduated. It's been, what, two or three years after that? Amelia Furbish. Thanks, dude. And uh, my new buddy, Jordan. (laughs) What's up? How's it going? Good, good. Make sure you talk right into this thing like that. There you go. Nice and deep. Amelia, is this your... Is this your second time or your third? third? It's your third, right? I guess so. I don't remember. What was that? You would, you did it when you were on rotation. You we were a student uh, Ryan. at one point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ryan yeah, Rosenblatt. Yeah. And then we got rid of him. And then, <laughs> that's right, Ryan. And then uh, and then you came back after graduation and we didn't invite Ryan. Yes, I guess it is the third. I, I love it when we have recurring people. I know. Must mean we're doing unless, something right if they want to come unless back. Unless they don't remember how many times they've been on it because yeah. it, it wasn't that big of a deal for them. But uh, so uh, Amelia went and got her farm day and then she was like, you know what? That's too easy. It's not enough. I need to go be a chemist now on top of it. So now she's working on her PhD doing drug discovery. And um, yeah, so how's that going? Um, it's going really well. Uh, so I actually have been working with both Jordan and AJ in the lab, which has been wonderful. Um, but yeah, it's going it's going great. AJ, how the heck did you get yourself into that lab? I, I've been told that I'm a pleasure to have in class. You are a pleasure. <laughs> Amelia, do not fill his head with nonsense because that we'll never hear the end of it. AJ, you stay back there and just produce stuff. <laughs> AJ, she's telling me that you're uh, finding chem- or, uh, compounds and getting data and stuff like that as well, man. That's oh, yeah. pretty cool. Methyl xanthine derivatives. Oh, yeah. So are you going to do the PhD route now, AJ? Probably. Okay. Right on. Yeah. He's guess, applying this summer. Uh, I guess I'm going to get one then, too. Beat AJ to it. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> Can't let AJ have a PhD. <laughs> no, you not have are a you PhD. kidding me? Pre- that would be preposterous. Jordan, what about you, man? What are you, what's your uh, backstory? Uh, I actually first fell in love Talk close, AJ. Or, <laughs> Jordan, sorry, I'm used to yelling at AJ. I'll get it here in a second. Uh, I know AJ from high school. Him and I took Dude, oh my gosh, uh, I'm sorry. IB chemistry together for two years, so it was, it's very nice to get to see him again and to work with him. Uh, I'm a P4 co- a pharmacy student at the moment, and uh, I am not. I go to USC, and so I didn't really find it uh, worthwhile to do the dual PhD there. But yeah. I, I think it is something I'll end up pursuing as well. That's awesome. Which is awesome. Wow, what so. an influence you have. I, yeah. I know, never, right? That's it. We're all doing never it. In my, no, I'm not. Yes. Never in my life so would I, I just have go wanted... Ahead put, just go ahead and put Cole down. To We're put gonna... myself through that at all. Dude, you get a stipend. What? I think. Okay. Like yeah. what? You do. Like you do. Oh, it's, it's $100 a month. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Barely livable, but... It's, I not, know. it's not about the amount of money, Cole. It's just not about the money. Cole, just sign him up. AJ, I always considered you more of a CP man. You were an IB? Barely. Okay. Barely. I never took IB. I was too dumb. I don't even know what that means. IB, it's like like even higher than AP. So it's where like your parents want you to hate your life while you're in high school, and so you just do yeah, that. A- I think AP is where my school stopped. There was I did like above one AP. AP class, and I was like, no. <laughs> I'm not trying to do this. I was way dumb. International Baccalaureate, I think it is. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's, it's like a worldwide program. So, so it's, it's like a, across uh, each country that it's available in. It's I've heard it's quite difficult. Worth it? I, I nuked the, the final exam. The only one I took was IB Chemistry. Nice. Yeah, well, look at you now. Yeah. And who's and who's <laughs> laughing now? <laughs> Who needs history? Oh, I, I got a uh, like a negative six in the AP history exam. I remember that. I didn't know that was possible. Uh, yeah, my, I just remember the professor. The yeah, he wasn't a professor. You were the only like, one who ever got a negative score. Yeah, he looked at me. He was like, "Just get him out of here." Write your name. How do you I, know? It's hard. It's a long story. But uh, he put Mike, and they said it was wrong. My name's Michael. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "No, dude." Dang it! It said full name. <laughs> So we are going to kind of talk a little different uh, from a topic standpoint today because we typically are obviously more in the pharmacotherapy, evidence-based medicine, but we're going to kind of go uh, – The opposite route? The opposite route. We're going to talk some medicinal chemistry. And when we, of course, I mean Amelia and Jordan <laughs> and maybe AJ, um, but because uh, Cole and I were listening to you guys talk <laughs> you know, before the podcast and never felt dumber. So It, it solidified my uh, – my thought that I'm not going to get a PhD. <laughs> I was that like, was, nope, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not going to do that. It's not for me. Those are too many big words. Too many big words. So, uh, Amelia, how would you kind of describe this this topic, if you will? Um. Well, so I did kind of like the the term of clandestine pharmacotherapy. Mm-hmm. I do think that sounds pretty cool. Um. But it sort of encompasses a lot of different things. Um. I think we'll probably be talking uh, a little bit about the medicinal chemistry as well as the um the general use within society of a variety of different um, 
both research chemicals, which are not necessarily considered to be illicit substances, as well as uh, controlled substances. Um, and I think that this is a pretty cool topic, especially for pharmacists, because um, I don't think that everybody always realizes how large these drug classes are um, and how many different derivatives there are that belong to each class. Um, so yeah, I thought this would be a cool opportunity to sort of get into both the chemistry and pharmacology behind uh, a variety of different compounds. So when you say not necessarily illicit, is that kind of a reference to designer drugs that mm -hmm. people might be familiar with where they're switching certain things, like you're talking about derivatives, to yeah. where it's not technically controlled, but uh, yeah, exactly. falls kind of in the same realm? So we actually, so we looked up the, um, like all of the controlled substances, um, C1 through 5. Right. Um, and there were actually less um, compounds on there than I was expecting. Um, and then there's sort of this gray area of um, what are considered like research chemicals. Um, I'll kind of let Jordan define that for you. Okay, so research chemicals or designer drugs are modified constituents or analogs of commonly used recreational substances. They, for the purposes of research, are in a bit of a gray area, especially if you're considering analogs of Schedule 3 and 4 drugs, as those are not directly covered under the Analog Act. But for your Schedule 1s and Schedule 2s, any of those, and any substance in general, research chemical that's uh, purchased under the guise of human consumption, then it is not so much gray area. It is yeah. illegal. But in terms of why they are available and how people can access them, it is due to that sort of loophole or the uh, plausible deniability, I think, is what is often used. As yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, and, and I think even just from a straight up you know, patient care, clinical pharmacotherapy aspect. I mean, these things are starting, you're starting to see research come out now with the psilocybin and MDMA and all that. So regardless of people's like personal feelings about it from a therapy standpoint, there does seem to be um, some very strong medicinal purposes in psychiatry, especially. So um, I think it's going to be, as time goes on, going to be more and more utilized in that space. So as especially as from like Amelia was saying, as pharmacists, we got to at least be familiar with the compounds and and I think it helps in, you know, kind of solidify your knowledge of antidepressants and anti, you know, uh, psychotics and things like that as well, because a lot of the chemistry is kind of like was discovered through some of these hallucinogenics, if I yeah, remember correctly. Definitely. So, yeah. So what do you want to start? What do you want to talk um, about first? So I think that we should go through some of the uh, major classes of drugs. Um, I'm thinking the main ones that we'll cover are probably uh, benzodiazepines, cathinones, um, tryptamines, phenethylamines. Uh, there's a couple cool sort of uh, compounds that don't really fall into any of those categories that we wanted to mention. Um, this actually might be a good place to start. Uh, so the three that we actually picked out were uh, Kratom, Phenibute, and Benzodrex, also known as purple hexadrine. Um, so I think that these are kind of interesting just because of, I guess mainly for the first two because of the widespread use. I think that there's less of a population that's using Benzodrex, but from a pharmacy perspective, I think that one's kind of interesting. Um, so I guess we can start with that. Uh, Benzodrex is actually an over-the-counter medication. Um, it's used as an inhaler for um, nasal decongestion. Yeah, nasal decongestant. Um, thank you. I was like trying to search for that word. Um, <laughs> But, uh, All those words you were saying earlier. <laughs> no, right? Incongestion, incongestions with three up. Congestion, what is a treat? Hey, what is the thing where your nose is stuffy? <laughs> I was hey. like, yeah, we can't, can't say stuffy nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is actually uh, an amphetamine derivative. Um, instead of, um, I think it was actually used, uh, when it was first discovered, it was used um, similarly to amphetamines, it may have been like an appetite suppressant, if I remember. Um, but uh, this is something that people are actually able to, people are like ingesting it. It comes in a little inhaler. Um, it's often mixed with lemon juice, um, which I think is interesting. I'm guessing probably it uh, protonates it, makes it soluble in um, like water so that you're actually able to like mix it into something. Um, but yeah. I was, I, my my Amelia was like, oh, Need something to chase it with, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, No, it's probably the pronation yeah, 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 of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right, 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 right. right. That's it. That was my second thought. Yeah, totally. Or you just need a chaser, you know. You you know somebody just likes way. lemon drops. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> You're drinking an uh, inhaler, right? <laughs> 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 
but yeah, so um, that one was kind of cool. It's supposed to have um, effects that are very similar to something like, um, well, amphetamine, so something like Adderall, Vyvanse. Um, but uh, just from the reports that we have read, it's... Um, tends to have more peripheral vasic instruction, which kind of makes sense if you think about how it's used uh, therapeutically. Um, but I just thought that one was kind of cool because it's uh, something I had never heard of before, but it's just an OTC drug that people are, um, yeah, exactly. So what you have pulled up, the synthesis, um, you just, it's essentially amphetamine if you um, just, and then you undergoes catalytic hydrogenation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which would be cool. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. I mean. So what is the, I mean, if people are using this recreationally, like what is the difference between this versus like, an ad, like what is it doing chem, like pharmacologically? Um, I think it has more uh, effects like um, alpha or alpha adrenergic effects more so than uh, dopaminergic, mm -hmm. um, which is probably the main difference between that and just regular amphetamine. And then obviously just ease of use since mm -hmm. this is OTC. So, like, side effect-wise, are people that are using it recreationally, I mean, are they having issues with blood pressure and cardiovascular issues? Is that, that's what I'm assuming? Exactly, yeah. In terms of traditionally abused stimulants, amphetamine, methamphetamine, it is it does have a much more pronounced effect on your blood pressure. Mm. Um, in terms of use, it also, when you first get the inhaler, from my understanding, it's a cotton uh, ball basically that's inside of that. So with use, I guess as in a clinical setting, if anyone ever had cotton impaction as well as the other mm. uh, hallmark presentations of stimulant abuse, then it, that might be something to consider or to be aware of. Have, have they had like cases of people like actually like ODing on these type of things or having a, like an MI or something as a result? I would imagine yeah. so. Uh, I can't give any specific examples. I was just curious yeah. if that's like, if it's one of those things that people are starting to use it like in crazy amounts or anything like that, if it's starting to become an issue. I haven't read anything on it. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would be slightly concerned just because it does have, or it does seem to have more um, alpha activity. But um, also that's kind of rare with just amphetamines, you know? Mm -hmm. um, generally, we don't see a ton of people with serious cardiovascular effects. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, Let's go uh, back to it. Which is kratom? I feel like it's kratom is like the, how the ties pronounce it, right? Yeah. How do you say it? I say kratom. I, I say, say kratom as well. I say kratom because that's how kratom. Hamilton. That's how Hamilton Morris says it. So I'm going to say it like yeah, that. I agreed. It. Hamilton's yeah. probably right. <laughs> so um, that one is something that I, you know I, I've actually talked about this myself um, with some uh, when I was doing something with like opioid uh, use disorder and whatnot. Because you were some, on TV, Mike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, <gasps> Mike was on TV talking about this stuff. Yeah. I, I do recall now. Are you yeah. Hamilton? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, believe me, I'm way dumber. But um, no, well, no. And then apparently the guy I was talking to was like a big deal in the news thing, and I didn't know that. And I was just like, yeah, he I was, was a well-known guy. Yeah, I didn't know that, and I was like, I saw him, and I was like, uh, had, I know that guy. He had slippers that had like these embroidered dragons on them, and I was like, <laughs> Yo, dude, those are, some, I was like, those are some dope shoes. And I was just joking <laughs> about his shoes, and they're like, they're like, you know what that was? And I was like, that old guy, no, with the, with the goofy shoes. Like that guy's got you know a million something people, you just, on. and you just got kind of called on a day. Mm -hmm. Like, they're like can, hey, you want to go on live TV to the local news station like, and talk live TV if with this guy? Ever there was a person that needs to be on live TV, right? <laughs> you suited up and went <laughs> suited in. Suited up. I was like, up to date on the way there. Let's go. <laughs> it's amazing. Fake it till you make it. Um, but yeah, so Kratom is something people are like starting to like talk about as far as, um, you know, using is a replacement almost for opioids and things like that. But it does have a like a stimulant like effect as well, right? Yeah. So um, it seems like at the lower doses, it acts, um, it's more like activating, has more of a stimulant effect. And then at higher doses, it's more of like an opioid analgesic with more sedating effects. Um, but this one's kind of interesting because it's not just one compound. It's, um, it's plant-based. And so it's a series of alkaloids that probably um, hit a variety of different things. I think the one that's been primarily found to be responsible for its effects is metragenine, as well, uh, various, this is your area, but various hydroxylations of metragenine. Let's see if I can. So, like, I mean, is it binding to, like, the, like, the mu opioid receptor yeah. or kappa or whatever? Is it, and is it binding as, like, like a buprenorphine type of thing where it's, like, a, a partial agonist antagonist? Is that the, why people are using it in that? sense i don't know if it's necessarily i know it's not full agonism well i remember it was in the news because people were talking about it as some sort of 
safer alternative, I thought, is that the idea yeah, because think, it's partial? I think that like, was the idea, but then at the same time... I don't know if that panned out. I just remember that's yeah, what yeah. they were talking Ooh, about. interesting. Metragenine is an indole-based alkaloid. Oh, yeah, indole-based. Gotta indole love a good indole. Yeah, oh, for sure. Me and Cole <laughs> always talk about how Every much week, we love indole-based compounds. <laughs> so... Um, like what else is going on? So if it, if it binds to mu receptors, what else is going on? Because if as far as the stimulant effect, is that more on the alpha receptors? I'm or? actually not sure. Amelia, you're supposed to be our I know, expert I know, chemist. I know. I know. I've stumped you immediately. This you is did, so embarrassing you for you. You call on, yourself a PhD see, candidate. <laughs> let me just type this in Google real quick. That's that's why the candidate <laughs> still there. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 getting close. So uh, at, at a glance, it looks like it may have been shown to bind to alpha-2 adrenergic receptors. See, I'm a PhD. Ooh, adenosine receptors. Can so, I give an honor? Adenosine makes sense. Which, yeah, I believe even coffee may, or caffeine may yeah. have minor yeah. uh, opioid receptor there binding. There you go. So that would somewhat make sense. Uh, dopamine D2 receptors as well as the serotonin 5-HT2C and 5-HT7. Uh, so yeah. is it uh, agonist at, uh, or antagonist at 5-HT2C? Does it say? It does not. Oh it's just activity. I would imagine it would be an antagonist because if it blocks that, it would curb appetite, which I think, if it's got any kind of stimulant effects, wouldn't that? That would make sense. Right? Seems logical. Us, Seems legit. Uh, us chemists, we're just pontificating about <laughs> compounds and us such. Us PhDs. Us PhD candidates. <laughs> I mean, technically. So it was metragenine 7-hydroxymetragenine uh, was what I was trying to recall earlier. And it does say that they're selective full agonists at the mu opioid receptor. Full agonists? Yes. Okay. Huh. But So I guess does it bind with greater affinity then to the to that than a regular opioid then? So that they would knock it like a, like a naloxone? It, it does say that it is antagonized by naloxone. So its binding affinity is certainly not that great. the okay. realm. Uh, I think that is why it was used for... Uh, tapering mm -hmm. and, and discontinuation of opioids to curb the, the withdrawal symptoms right yeah it, and it does it has it has a ceiling effect uh, consuming that much plant material and whatnot mm -hmm. i think you reach the point of nausea before <laughs> any risk of respiratory depression and whatnot okay so the next one because obviously i didn't know very much yeah about that kratom what, or a, what a what a revelation <laughs> uh, but the other one that i thought was really interesting was phenibut um, which is, uh, I would say a lot of people use it almost similarly to how benzos are used. Yeah. Um, but that one is actually a GABA B agonist, um, which is, uh, similar to baclofen, hmm. um, but more potent. Um, and, uh, this one is kind of interesting because it does tend to have, uh, addictive properties. Um, and people do, uh, tend to like struggle with addiction and um, also need to like taper off of it. Um, there's also a fluorinated compound. 4F phenibut, which is uh, I think around four to eight times as potent as the original. Uh, phenibut was a Russian anxiolytic, so it would make sense that Perfect. it's used. Yeah, um, Russians go hard. Yeah, for that <laughs> yes, they do. So it, the, the, this version, the phenibut version, can be addictive and cause issues, and the other one, the floor, the what is it? Floor? Four fluoro uh, phenibut. Okay, yeah. that one, that's way too hard to say. Um, that one is four times more potent, you said? Right. Jeez. If not more. So, phenibut dosing is a, a gram or less uh, to someone who would be naive, and then as people become more dependent on it, it's not abnormal for them to use in multiple grams. Uh, but the the four fluorinated version, I think, even doses of four hundred is in the upper upper range of what is typically used. Is is it still used in like Europe or anything like that? Uh, that is something I have to double check. Oh, okay. yeah, I'm not sure on that, but it is like it's still considered to be like legal. Mm -hmm. um, it was sold as a dietary supplement, which is not natural. It's an hydroxy yeah. cut, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, you want to shed some pounds and <laughs> have a raging addiction by the end of the month? I do not think the FDA was too fond of that, and they've made statements about it not being a supplement, but it's still available and it's still used. Hmm. Wow. Um, what about, like, is there any, like, off the top of your head, and if not, it's okay because I'm putting you on the spot, but any, like, drug-drug interactions that, if you're working, like, in a clinic setting, like, I have patients that, like, that I work with that admit all the time they take a number of things. Um 
so it isn't from a pharmacist standpoint again like it's important to know like the drug drug interaction especially with like things like cannabis or something like that but is there anything like glaring with like kratom or any of those that you can think of as far as if you had a patient with other chronic disease states to watch out for um not for i'm trying to say it how you say it kratom um that i can immediately think of just because um i mean i guess maybe at like higher doses and it is kind of like hitting a ton of different receptors but i i generally think of that as like kind of a more mild i think that lexicomp has recently added <gasps> to they have I'm li- I, yeah. to their list of it was a te- oh, so you set me up that there. was a test amelia <laughs> and i am also just that's strike two for you <laughs> medkins her part i think I, yeah, i'm the yeah, one that's yeah. laughing here tonight <laughs> Jordan, come on, dude. We expect better in your first episode as a P4. <laughs> doing the best. Although no. you're gonna, I'm gonna immediately whatever you say, Lexicom says. I'm gonna try to come up with a reason why that's not true, but go for it. Listen, okay, game on. <laughs> <laughs> now, the one that I did as soon as it, I read this, uh, this makes it the lopiramide um, is one of the ones that they say is it a potential interaction. But I would imagine it's in crazy high doses. But there's been uh, three fatalities where people have taken kratom and uh, um, lopiramide together. To be fair, though, mm-hmm. there have been fatalities in lopiramide by itself. Alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it causes Absolutely. QTC prolongation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, cardiotoxicity. Nice. <laughs> no, it's, that is actually I, one of my very first posts was on for Core Consult's Instagram was about the lopiramide because I was always like that, that. I wasn't aware of that when I first made that, but yeah, there's been several documented cases of people taking crazy high amounts of lopiramide, way more than the two milligram recommended dose for diarrhea. And uh, yeah, passing away from it. Yeah, not ideal. I want to say, yeah, I've seen 360. Yeah, it's it's something preposterous. Like you just take the whole bottle. Yeah. I think, you know, that's probably not a good idea for any medication, I would imagine. Absolutely not. Tylenol, I want to say say that there was, um, that there's like risk of seizures or something with that, not with uh, Kratom, but with... Phenibut and long-term abuse, just like like with any of the gabapentinoids or benzos. um, There's certainly problems with withdrawal. Uh, That's something that was mentioned within my pharmacy classes, and I've seen articles or uh, studies that it is becoming more and more prevalent in a clinical setting. For, with uh, Kratom? Phenibut. Or Phenibut, okay. Yeah. Well, there's... yeah, we've established I don't know anything about Kratom. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's why me and Jordan take over. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, as far as, um, I, I do remember once, because I, I memorized it real quick for that, that thing I was on for TV, pretend like I know what I was talking about. Um, but it was, they were talking about patients coming in and, and basically having withdrawal, like opioid withdrawal symptoms from taking just crazy amounts of Kratom every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, and not, probably not as potent i don't know of any like fatalities necessarily i'm sure that's happened at some point but um it, they did say that they were seeing some of that happen and basically talking about the treatment you know treatment options and yeah. managing a patient in inpatient setting but yeah. yeah nothing without its cost i guess if it can get you off of other opioids or it's been used for that purpose it can certainly induce a withdrawal itself yeah, yeah. well i mean and that's like uh if someone's been on a decent dose of um uh, of an opioid for a long period of time and then we put them on buprenorphine which we use all the time i mean unless you you have to get the dose right because they'll have withdrawal symptoms fairly quickly um so yeah i mean it's definitely i mean i that's the other thing i i, I do you know when we talk about these type of drugs people always think the recreational side of things are people using them or abusing them but it's like there's been so many people that have had their lives changed with something like buprenorphine so you, there's no way that that's the only one that's out there. There's got to be tons and tons of chemicals out there that could potentially have therapeutic purposes like that. I, I want to say the FDA pushed to uh, ban Kratom yeah. about four years ago. Yeah, but yeah. There was a very large pushback in terms of uh, petition and people saying that they used it for uh, discontinuation of traditionally prescribed opioids. Yeah. yeah. Well, isn't it illegal in Thailand? Or am I making that up? That I have no idea. That was kind of a random factoid. <laughs> it was kind of a random factoid. That's where it comes from. <laughs> okay, okay. I wasn't just making it. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, and definitely not, because isn't that where it's like used, like, I mean, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up now. But. I know. I know you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, One thing to consider, Mike, was the uh, SIP interactions for metragyline and uh, the Kratom and Kratom's, um, what do you call it, metabolites. Alkaloids. Yeah, the 2C9, 2D6, and 3A4 all were uh, inhibited by the, meta- the metabolites, too. Mm. So that's just one of those things Significantly? that any other medication. So uh, Kratom was just decriminalized in Thailand. This, this uh, 
was this today? Mm. No, so <laughs> no, it was uh, August twenty twenty one. But look, that that tell me that's not today's date. That this is, is on location. Look at these guys; they're Probably on location in been, Thailand. If nothing else, I think we've established four different ways to pronounce that <laughs> drug. So um, it's not kratom. <laughs> I haven't. Heard, I'm not sure that any of us are right. I'm not going to say it. I know for I don't a fact. Guess. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was on TV. Trust me. Yeah, he dude, was I was on, on TV saying it, and the guy said it wrong. I was like. This guy doesn't know. He's got goofy shoes and he doesn't know how to pronounce stuff. But um, anyways, the uh, someone's going to look up that video and find out what I'm talking about. Nobody look it up. But um, Oh, I can find it. Oh, shoot. It's probably on YouTube. Um, so what's next? What are we going to... Okay, I was about to say. We're going on some, on some yeah, tangents. Yeah, we are getting on some We're gonna tangents. We're going to have to start a mini-series. So I think that the next one to cover that makes the most sense are uh, the benzodiazepines because this is a really huge class of um, research chemicals, if you will. Um, Why is that? A lot of reasons, I think. In other countries, the benzos that we consider typically prescribed are not necessarily used. So in Japan, I think fluctazolam, which is a theanodiazepine, is used. And so it is sold under the guise of this can be used for research purposes within the U.S. and whatnot. But in other countries, it may well be an established uh, Medication, drug, which is a, a common theme of, of many of the yeah. things we'll discuss today. Well, why, like, why would they not? I'm sure you guys. I'm probably just jumping ahead, but why would they not be utilizing like um, alprazolam or um, you know, Ativan? Or why stuff like would that? we not be utilizing? Or the, whatever yeah, yeah, using. yeah, exactly. I mean, like, what's the reasoning for that? Is there one Politics, rather than probably, just? Is that what it is? <laughs> just I've not seen money? a particular reason yet. Okay, I didn't know if there was like a glaring like Japan was like, yo, yeah. what are you guys crazy? You don't use that. Use this one. It's way safer. From like a medkin perspective too, though, I feel like the the compounds themselves, there's a decent bit of like diversity in like the base compound as well as in like the subsets of derivatives. So there's a lot of like structural changes that you can make. And as it turns out, quite a few of them are highly active. Uh, Fluoprazolam, uh, an analog of alprazolam has been fluorinated where uh, Amelia may be able to tell us, but that one, yeah, we for love example, is four, four to eight times as potent as alprazolam and is very commonly what's found in pressed bars that you would find on the street or purchase mm. on the street. A clonazolam is a longer lasting, much more potent clonazepam analog. Pyrazolam and diclazepam were commonly implemented in uh, tapering for people who were trying to get off of what may have been a, a research chemical bin, so that was more potent or just prescription in general. Hmm. Which I think, just a side note, I think that this is kind of interesting too, is that um, among these communities of people that are utilizing these research chemicals, um, they've sort of established their own guidelines for like tapering schedules and stuff where they are utilizing research chemicals to get off research chemicals, which I think is interesting. And, and is that a situation where they're actually able to eventually get off the medication, or is it a lot of times just supplementing to keep somebody stabilized? Um, I think it could be either. Either? Yeah. yeah. The Ashton taper, uh, mm -hmm. the, we use, I think it typically implements diazepam, but diclazepam, a longer-lasting uh, diazepam analog, I think the taper was modified to use that. And so I remember in looking on Reddit that many people were using that to quit benzos, whether they lost access to a prescription or went, were going to another country and, or whatnot, uh, they would use it for that purpose. Now, in, in the U.S., like from a regulatory standpoint, would if they're labeled as a research chemical, could a physician prescribe that like off-label kind of thing no. to give a patient therapeutically? An uh, agreement in purchasing any of these is that they are not, They're not for, for you. Any, okay. And to think from a pharmacy perspective, how are we going to get it? Well, no, I'm, I mean, because my only reason I even asked that was I'm thinking like before like esketamine, the actual, um, what is this, bravado, whatever was a, yeah. approved, people were using like, uh, you know, IV ketamine for migraines and, you know, for depression and things like that so I've just wondered how they were able to get by with that but I didn't know if there was like a loophole that if it's a psychiatrist they're able to like I've wondered myself how they're able to have clinics where you can just, just go, go get, get yeah and, uh, I'd imagine it has to do with the drug itself being um, commercially available in the US already and then yeah. being used off-label even though it's quote-unquote investigation versus a drug that is not commercially available in the US yeah. and then how are you going to get it in the US unless you get it from other countries because like time? technically you're allowed Bitcoin. to you're allowed to prescribe <laughs> You're allowed to prescribe anything for anything, right. you know? Like, as long as it is a FDA-approved medication, you yeah. can prescribe it for whatever you want if you have a license. Exactly. But if it's not, then... Mm -hmm. Yeah. But before we get off this topic, we also have to mention, what is it, a teasalium? A teasalium? 
pronunciation to be determined. But that we're not doing good at pronouncing stuff tonight. As a unit, we look bad. We're starting. I haven't said a single one yet. Cole's like, I'm not getting into this. Not getting in that game. Edizolum is prescribed in India and Japan, from uh, what I know, and it's roughly half the potency of Xanax, but it, it can be imported and is commonly imported and used. So, so like in that regard, like you know, if it's half the potency, is it just become less addictive or less abused or, or less just, abuse potential? That's the one that just... I see people using like the most frequently. That's like the one that pops up on all of like. Yeah, because I mean, it, I think Edizest, for example, is a orally dissolving tablet. You can go on numerous sites that advertise uh, just selling, selling it, it yeah, and, and import it. For I, that can't even be for research purposes. Really. Yeah, that's just uh, importing a prescription yeah, yeah. drug. Yeah. So, like in that case, if with all this like available, I guess more more so just getting posted by like clandestine chemists and whatnot. But like, is is have there been people that have tried to document like things like drug drug interactions and stuff like that from like a therapeutic standpoint? Like, are there psychiatrists overseas that are posting this stuff to try to if people are going to abuse it to do it safely or not abuse it, but you know use it in a recreational standpoint to use it safely? I think it comes mostly from actually the people that are using it. They're just posting about their experience. Yeah, there's, but also people get really into the science behind it as well. Like, um, talking about, it's all sort of under the umbrella of like harm reduction where, um, if, for example, if someone takes a research chemical and they have a bad time, (laughs) like they tend to to document it. Yeah, exactly. And so you sort of build up this, this, um, like wealth of data on based on bad decisions, <laughs> based, nice. based on people just taking yikes, like that was random <sighs> chemicals. Not, not that anecdotal evidence is the best evidence. Not that the anecdotal we, evidence we, we is the best. It, it's not the it's not the happens. best evidence based medicine to follow, but it's something. Exactly. Hold on, Mike. They've got the European Journal of Clinical Pharmacology. Mm-hmm. That sounds legit. Listing uh, itraconazole and fluvoxamine both as slowing down the rate of elimination for. Etizolam. Mm-hmm. Another pronunciation. There you go. There we go. Well, that, man, that makes sense. Itraconazole inhibits everything. Induces it. Yep, that makes sense. Stupid <laughs> carbamazepine. That's the auto inductor. <laughs> and then it induces itself. Yeah, like an idiot. We've been over that. <laughs> Phenobarbs. So silly. Small, right? yeah, dude, and then the, now there's some article that's way off topic. There's a meta analysis that got published today talking about carbamazepine, oxcarbamazepine, phenobarb, topiramate. Um, there was a couple others. It basically the anti-epileptics that have like serious drug drug interactions, like all the ones we think about, yeah. um, have been shown now to be linked. If you're on them for, I think it was four months, maybe four years. I read it in the traffic today. Um, safely as as I was stopped, <laughs> as I was in standstill traffic because of an accident, I, I was looking through my phone while stopped. Um, and uh, they were saying that it increases the risk of um, cardiovascular events. In just a very short amount of time, when they looked at the what? like retrospective, yeah, I, I took to I me. took a picture of it and so saved I it. Work in epilepsy, I, that's, I took a picture of it to show you because it's kind of I gotta dig a little deeper to make sure I'm not just doing yeah, doing the skimming, the traffic skimming, the traffic skimming <laughs> safely. <laughs> you never read the whole article in traffic. That's a rule. <laughs> you only read the abstract. So before we, I forget to ask this because I keep meaning to ask, what is the deal with um, fluorine? Why does that make anything better? Uh, so a don't lot people of... blow their arms off with that stuff? I, I know. I know. I met a chemist so. one time. He's a fluorine fluorine chemist, and he had a hook for a hand, and it was because of chemistry. That's what he said anyway. <laughs> he, well, so I'm like, not, I swear to God, I'm not. I making believe that. it. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, dude, no, this time. I mean, I bet it's hard to do chemistry, but <laughs> no, he had a hook. He was very proud of it. He told. He said he blew his hand off doing fluorine chemistry. I was like, geez, I don't want to do that. That's I'll wild. Stick to something. And they let him stay in the lab. I mean, he was, with a single hand in his hook. First of all, but dude, at the same we, they don't, time, that lab doesn't discriminate. You know what he could do? He could, he could probably unscrew his hook and he could put on like um, tongs, what is it? tongs or something that the tubes stay in, so he could hold like five tubes. Oh, heck, yeah. dude, he'd be uh, the 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 tube holder. Like, exactly, you know, that, he would just screw that thing on and just have the whole. Not thing. only is it non-inhibitory, it's he's probably like the ultimate chemist. Yeah, well, he you was he'd been doing it for a minute too, so he's yeah. an older yeah. guy. So, anyways, what is the deal with fluorine? Why does that um, matter? So, I think that there is a lot of reasons. Partially, um, it's highly electronegative. Um, it's it's also very small, which I think is interesting. So um, if you're making um, structural changes, you can substitute it for hydrogen, for example. 
um, and you're still going to have uh, a compound that's able to fit into um, a similar like binding pocket, for example. Um, but you're just making small like changes um, in terms of like electric negativity, for example, that may um, increase or decrease the affinity for um, the receptor. So a lot of the time, like um, you'll add like trifluoromethyl groups or um, and, and it, it's pretty common across um, a lot of approved drugs if you look at, like... Like mm -hmm. we just discussed. The yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, so it's something that, like, pretty commonly comes up through MedChem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're such a nerd. I love I it. It's good. Me and Cole are getting chemical tattoos. And, Mike, to dumb that down for everybody uh -huh. and you, uh, that Dude, makes it, it makes it more potent. He's and, been demoted and from executive to it regular makes things, Yeah, it makes drugs better. For you, like also it's highly stable. So in terms of uh, the safety of the substitution, whereas brom bromine bromo substitutions yeah. and chloro substitutions can be biologically uh, degraded, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. I feel like there's a lot of chloro substitutions. Um, I feel like I see bromine less less commonly, but um, yeah, me too. <laughs> Might just be a research chemical thing. <laughs> so yeah, yeah TCB. <laughs> so. Um, Okay, so we've gone through the benzos. Now, what's like the next, like, okay, so kind now of like the we'll hit, big class? Uh, now we'll hit, I guess, like three of the major ones. We can do them in whatever order you would like. Um, but I want to hit. Yeah, God forbid the, we just follow your outline. Uh, we'll the tryptamines, phenethylamines, and cathinins. She literally started at bullet point seven, by the way, for all you guys listening. <laughs> I'm like looking at this outline. I'm like, we are nowhere following this. No, we're definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> so, okay, sorry, go ahead. But where do y'all want to start? Y'all want to start you at... You're the chemist. Oh, gosh. Me and Cole are just pharmacists. What do you think? What do you and think? Peach candidates. Sure. Oh, gosh. Maybe we should do those last. Oh, no, boy. Because I feel like, I feel like, I feel like phenethylamines and cathinones are kind of like a, like a Okay, we're going to do cathinones. Let's okay. go. Okay, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. I like In that. In terms yeah. of social awareness, cathinones probably take the cake. Uh, so let's start with that one. Yeah. So give us an example of a cathinone, because most people, you say it's... I mean, I know what it is, but for everybody else's benefit, I think you should give some examples. Right. And Cole's an avid you know, drug abuser. So <laughs> just kidding. That, Obviously. That could not be more than, clearly could not be more farther from the truth. <laughs> Cathinones and uh, a similarly related group of chemicals, pyrovalerones are what the whole bath salt craze was about. Uh, so if you want to sound really cool, that it's not your mag sulfate, it's cathinones and pyrovalerones. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's the one when you start eating people. Right. Exactly. That, exactly. that's one on the bad list. Which I'm I heard assuming. that was like a myth. Like that person that's the guy got his face eaten. I heard it was a myth. Mis misattributed, I think, with mm. any stimulant and a lack of sleep and nutrition, that psychosis is, is likely. <laughs> face eating, yeah. Right. Very that's, likely. That's an yeah, extreme yeah, example. Usually you just get like a little eating. bit angry in traffic, but sometimes you will eat people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> Side effects do include. <laughs> so, okay, so that's like, what's the, like. So they tend to be, they're, they're. Similar to phenethylamines, except for um, they have a uh, beta ketone. Okay. Which um, it's also bupropion is interesting oh. to add to this because bupropion is a cathinone as well. Oh, um, I know, right? Oh, it might gosh. eat somebody's face. On. That's not good. <laughs> That's why you add a result to it. <laughs> <laughs> Block that dopamine. Anyways, sorry. Anyways. <laughs> um, but they also, like, they have very similar. Um, pharmacologic profiles to bupropion, actually, hmm. um, in terms of the receptors that they're acting on. So, um, uh, Primarily norepinephrine and dopamine. Uh, some of them serotonin. do have some serotonergic activity to them. Yeah. They primarily act as reuptake inhibitors, just as bupropion does. Yeah, and then they also, um, for side effects and or adverse effects, I guess, um, you think about bupropion lowered seizure thresholds mm -hmm. with cathinins, um, you're going to see uh, similar adverse effects. Um, I feel like sometimes they tend to get, um, sort of a bad rap just because they do, they tend to be dirty drugs, mm -hmm. um, and hit a lot of different receptors. Um, but. Is that what a dirty drug means? It just means it's kind of all over the place as far yeah. as it's affinity. It's Binding affinity. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Stay um, away from cathinones, kids. Yeah, exactly. Stay away from cathinones. Um, but what are, I'm except to Except Wolbutrin. Wolbutrin is pretty, Wolbutrin, Wolbutrin's yeah. pretty good. That one's pretty solid. <laughs> but so. I do think that that's kind of cool because, like, Wolbutrin is, like, essentially the only approved 
like drug in its class. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I actually had no idea that that was in the same class as bath salts. I feel weird about yeah. putting so many patients it's to clinic on that. It's been considered a poor man's cocaine before. And yeah, the it, dose it, is, it is 1,500 is. milligrams uh, snorted. Would be the nice. equivalent of that. <laughs> do not you, do that. Yeah, don't. Not endorsed. Yeah, AJ's just giving facts that he's Immediate reading. release, not extended release. Well, obviously, AJ, come on. That's what this That's article every, says. Every, every PhD candidate knows that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, are, are there any other cathinone used for medicinally in other like countries or anything? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but the plant that they are derived from, cat, uh, K-H-A-T, I'm probably mispronouncing that. That's what they do in Somalia, that's like, right? That's like, you know, fat, P-H-A-T. It's similar That's the cool way to spell. That's what the... C-A-T. Isn't that what the Somalian pirates chew? I think there's always sunny episode where he's pinging off the walls and has a mouthful of it. Yeah, I was thinking of that. What's that, Captain... The guy's like, I'm the captain now. Pretty sure those guys... Captain Phillips. Phillips, yeah. They were all chewing that stuff. Cot. Cot, I think it's pronounced... Okay. Right? Yeah. I'm thank God I'm here to pronounce all these words for you guys. <laughs> right? My gosh, I'm really you? saving the day. I can't uh, believe I'm just a candidate. <laughs> but those are uh they're very similar to uh very similar to the phenethylamines and um a lot of the derivatives are probably like the same just without the ketone. Um so interconvertible, I suppose. <laughs> um the the uh, phenylethylamine, is that any type of amphetamine type compound? Yes. Okay. Because yeah. that's. Would, would qualify. Would qualify? Amphetamine okay. is a phenethylamine. I'm learning all the terms now. Yeah. They are widespread. Uh, yeah, there's a they lot. They are extremely widespread. Why, uh, Psychedelic uh, phenethylamines are a yeah. thing, and empathogen, uh, like your MDMA, serotonin releasing agents, there's some of those as well. Yeah. So I guess those are the two that I think we should sort of end on just because they're probably the biggest classes with the most, um, I don't know, maybe the most interesting. What about Ibogaine? Because looked at that at all? They're using that in like some countries to get uh, for like uh, ibogaine infusions to get off of um, opioids. I, like, I think just about everything, right? Like, I, yeah, I think you can. I think opioids is the big one, but I think like heroin and fentanyl and all that stuff. But I, I think uh, it can help with any sort of addiction, from what I hear. But it's just really cardiotoxic or something oh. when you use really high doses. She yeah, looked at the, she like looked at she looked at the chemical and she goes, "Oh." <laughs> I was like, that looks like some kid drew that. I have no idea what that is. She goes, oh, it is cardiotoxic. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was smart. Okay. Look at that thing. That looks like it gets stuck in some channels, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the first thing I thought, too. <laughs> Are we looking at the same thing here? Or is this, these are all just different pictures. But yeah, they, um, I think they, because that was the thing about, uh, they were talking if you could like microdose Ibogaine. Um, but they, they, because they don't research it in the U.S. and in other, um, you know, more modern countries like that, they uh, some of the places that do have it, you have to go and get like this massive amount. I think all it's called dumped. The, the flood. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, but that's where the cardiotoxicity concern is a huge issue because you're obviously not going to go live in the Netherlands for two months while you get off of the substance. You just get the shotgun effect of. It'd be hard to say where the toxicity arises. It seems to hit just about every receptor that I think we covered in school. Yeah. Of uh, all of your all three mu- uh, opioid receptors, five HT two, five HT three. Mm. I guess that's why I can help with any kind of addiction, huh? Muscarinic, dopaminergic, norepinephrine, and oh, serotonin. Lungs close up. And in, in MDA, just to be uh, just to, to complete. To cover them all. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah. Okay. So potential side effects. Yeah, maybe a couple, one or two. <laughs> a lot of interactions. Like, yes, you're not going to be addicted to anything anymore, but your heart's not going to work either. <laughs> so, like, no, but, I mean, that, that's that's the kind of thing, though, that I, I am fascinated with this stuff um, is, is from a research standpoint of, like, the medicinal purpose because th- that w- there have been a lot of stories. Is your alarm going off in the middle of our podcast? Sorry. <sighs> Amelia. Unbelievable. Unprofessional. Unprofessional. Unprofessional for sure. Also, I'd like to point out, was there an alarm because that's how quickly you wanted to get done with this episode? Because we are I'm just trying to remember what the we're just getting one was for. warmed up. I think that might have been the sea monkeys. <laughs> that's amazing. Unbelievable. Um, but uh, there's been a lot of like at least, you know, case reports of people getting um, you know, over their addiction or whatever it is with these with this, with Ibogaine. So it's like would the cardiotoxicity be able to be avoided and some of those other side effects if you could use very small doses over an extended period of time? Um, and that's the kind of stuff that drives me a little bit crazy when I hear about this stuff because it's like it's so hard to research certain things and um, because of all the, you know, 
legislation and whatnot. You got to go through and the hoops you got to jump through. And it's like, I, I wish that, you know, Kim supervised, obviously, because you got people like Amelia running around. But as long as, you know, it's like, but allowing people to do this research and see, you know, what we can kind of figure out. I very much agree with the sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I don't know very I much like about this coming. drug. But uh-huh. I think that this might not be like the best direction oh, to head. Well, in terms of this specific, you just compound. learned about it three seconds ago. I know, so I, I did. feel like, but it looks scary. Like, look at that. <laughs> you can't judge a book by its cover when you look at it, or its chemical structure. <laughs> and and like me and Cole were talking about the other day, one of these things is the synthesis of ibogaine has four steps, and so for middle level chemists like us, like me and Cole, uh, it's pretty difficult to do. And so, not for advanced chemists. If you like look me and at the molecule, Mike, make sure you throw a screen cap up with the uh, the molecule. It's got two different chiral centers there. So what that means uh, for people like Mike is that there can be four stereoisomers. And if we know anything about stereoisomers in medicinal chemistry, it's just bad news. Yeah. That, eight, eight. Thank you for relaying exactly what I said. I definitely uh, have a an article saved somewhere yeah. about how they I, figured out how to synthesize or extract more efficiently. Uh, nice. I'm not going to try to find that <laughs> now, but glad that came up. That's so funny. what about, uh, I guess we'll <laughs> let's talk uh, the last one. This just popped in my head. But what about crocodile? That's a From my understanding, that was a fentanyl or whatever opioid uh, was added in, but I I think it was leftover solvent. It was. It was phosphorus toxicity. It was causing the product. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's desimorphine is the actual active ingredient of of what they call crocodile, which is like an approved uh, opioid that's not even that potent that they use in Europe. But then they, when you make it in your bathtub in the Ukraine, yeah. sometimes you leave a little phosphorus in there and it causes necrotizing fasciitis due to phosphorus toxicity. And then next thing you know, Vice is writing an article about how crocodile is the most addictive thing you could ever be on. I know. I saw it on like, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure it's like it morphine. Like I think this was one of my first soapboxes I took before really? the, the bath salt. There you go. What they actually are. I think the crocodile thing is quite frustrating. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. Cause it's, especially since it's approved and used in hospital settings in Europe. It's, yeah, that one's always been like, I mean, like, I'm like, does anybody fact check this stuff before it goes on Vice? <laughs> Anyways, I thought that one was interesting because I've, I've been asked about that one a few times. So what else? Anything? Are we going to promise to do a, a mini series of just, you know. I would love to. All right, let's do it. One, one weekend, let's just knock them all out. If this yeah, let's do brings it. up interest, then yeah, I think we can probably come back. <laughs> well, I mean, we can do a separate separate series of YouTube videos for it. Under, I mean, we don't have to have multiple podcast episodes for people who are bored. Yeah. But, um, yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's don't go. Don't tell AJ. How much time do we have left? Cole, how you doing on time, buddy? I'm great. You're the one with the okay. newborn. Cool, cool, great. cool, cool, cool. All right. Um, so let's dive into tryptamines and phenethylamines. Let's do it. Um, And I guess I'll talk a little bit about the MedChem first because um, in terms of the analogs, a lot of the substitutions are the same. Um, So with the phenethylamines, um, it's like, I'm trying to think of a phenethylamine. Um, And I don't know how to better way to say that. (laughs) Um, PEA. Yeah, and so uh, so with the phenethylamines and the tryptamines, tryptamines, it's like the um, indole ring. Maybe... Yeah, you'll have to flash up a little. I feel like I'm going to have... There's no way I'm going to be able to edit all this. You get three (laughs) compounds. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Everyone Google this stuff. So amphetamine, psilocybin, and what's a a serotonin releasing? A serotonin, like... An MDA? Or MDMA? For for the phenethylamines? Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, In terms of which three to put up, so then what we're saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm trying to think. Amphetamine, yeah, that's probably a good one for phenethylamine. Um, or like, if, I guess the best place to start is just like at neurotransmitters, because, um, if we're talking about phenethylamines, that's like dopamine and norepinephrine and epinephrine. Um, and for tryptamines, that's serotonin, um, which kind of tells you a lot about the activity of the drugs, um, as well. Um, and the types of things that we're concerned about. So, um, with phenethylamines, we're, um, primarily concerned about, um, I guess some effects on blood pressure, especially depending on the different compound that you're talking about, um, any sort of like adrenergic activity that can cause all sorts of different things. Um, and then also, um, primarily psychosis, I think would be the big one just because, um, of a lot of dopamine release. (laughs) And is that because it's wakefulness? Is that because it's binding to D2 and causing activity? Um, so it blocks um, and like reverses dopamine transporters. Yeah, I think it's a TAR1 agonist and a VMAT2 uh, reverse. 
transport. But, but that's the reuptake of it, right? Right. So then there would be more postsynaptically available to bind to the D2 receptors, which would cause yeah, this, like... Uh, your uptake or your influx Well, uh, theoretically, it would be all sorts of different receptors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All dopamine receptors, yeah. But you, you're saying, like, that the it can cause some psychosis or at least some... Oh, definitely, so that's, yeah. Is that, yeah, I see, is that, that, I see where, you, where okay. you're tying this in. Yeah, 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 yeah. A, a hyper-dopaminergic yeah. state with no sleep, yes. Gotcha, yes. okay. Exactly. <laughs> now we're, okay, we're there now. I was like, I was getting. I was, I was like, like, I thought I had this straight in my head. Okay, I'm like, yeah, I thought yeah. I had this straight in my head. I'm like, okay, never mind. Yes, that case is based on um, activity. All my research yeah. now down the drain. <laughs> um, so, I mean, as far as um, like, is there is there any like medicinal things that they've been looking at that's like kind of you know new research coming out with that you know class? Um, so MDMA specifically um, is being uh, looked at in uh, PTSD. Um, I think that that's probably the main one. I don't know if they're doing. I imagine it's, it's being looked at in depression as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, and can you kind of like walk us through the thought process of that? Because it's basically you know not just like blocking like reuptake, but actually like releasing serotonin into the system, right? Right. And then so because I, I always think when there's all this extra you know serotonin available, you're going to get you know more activity potentially at like five HT. 2A, right? But I always think when you, you want to have agonism activity to downregulate and desensitize that 5-HT2A receptor when you're dealing with depression. But MDMA, in that sense, because I guess because it's a short, is that why it's maybe a short duration of action? Because it's it's basically causing like your ability to like um, cope and like, is that... I, I think right there is the extent of our understanding. Of okay. I think it allows people to communicate about or think through things. Think that would through. Typically, be completely blocked. And the off. the um the therapy that people like the drug therapy that um they're using, I guess, is combined with psychotherapy. So like um, CBT and like okay. exactly. So when you're taking the uh, like MDMA, for example, um, it's combined with other like forms of therapy as well. Same with ketamine. Yeah. And, and I guess it would be in a lot of time, and um, like from an MDMA standpoint, it, like that's it like the trials I've looked at, like they were only like eight weeks or something. They were pretty short. Um, so that's what it is, is basically to help kind of like recalibrate how you interact with those emotions or thoughts. And then at that point you're able to kind of face, face yeah. them a little bit easier. Is that the thought process? And I think a lot so. of it too is, um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these drugs sort of, um, alter your perception of what's significant. So an experience that may or may not have held significant emotional experience, um, not on MDMA may hold a higher level of significant, like, a higher level of significance. Um, so I guess that's why it would be combined with the psychotherapy so that um, you're kind of able to make maybe that larger break, breakthroughs, I guess. Did, didn't did, didn't children do uh, couples therapy with MDMA? So <laughs> I guess before we even talk about the, the phenethylamines and tryptamines, we probably should give a quick shout out to Shulgin, um, who... Rediscovered MDMA? Absolutely. Well, didn't, didn't he like legitimately discover it as opposed to rediscover it i, I believe he, he discovered it and if not it then every analog that <laughs> yeah, exactly. aj google whether he discovered or rediscovered please tell he's us. like he's like the og like yeah he, he what it synthesizes over 300 like derivatives of psychedelics um there's been i'm trying to think there's like at least 40 in uh tcal there's more in pcal I want to say it's, I think it's like 315 or something. Yeah, he found near 100 that he found worth writing about and had profound yeah. effects. So. His book just went to Audible. Did it really? Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. So, um, I know, because there's no way I could read it. The book itself was really long, but um, and it was kind of interesting just talking to Jordan about it, about the different pieces that we like each read of it, because what really stood out to me was the synthesis more than anything else, because mm-hmm. he goes through the synthesis of every single one of the analogs. Um which is really cool because you don't really get to see, like when you're reading a paper, when you're trying to like find a protocol to make your own compounds or whatever it is, um, it's sort of like a dry thing to read, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas when Shulgin's describing it, it's like so colorful and it's it's kind of cool because it's like you've, I've never really read somebody's synthesis that's that, like, I don't know, beautiful, you know? He, he liked... <laughs> 
hallucinogenics, like most people like to go to the beach. <laughs> it was his favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely yeah. like chemistry and also like trying some of his sampling, yeah. some of his merch. So um, both Alexander and Andrilgan tried, I guess all of the compounds did um, disescalation studies um, and on documented on themselves. It's gangster. Documented. Um, Ill advised, but gangster. <laughs> Yeah. Gangster because he made it through alive. Uh, oh yeah. He, yeah. He, he he didn't he was not that long ago when he passed away, right? It really wasn't. Yeah, yeah. like a few years. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. But MDMA was discovered by Merck in nineteen twelve. Was it really? Yeah, huh, rediscovered by Shrugan, just like I said. <gasps> <laughs> Moving oh on up. I'm, I'm gonna be I a PhD by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Interesting. Emily, don't worry, I'll be here all night. So I'll teach I got plenty of stuff if How you have. Dare you. If you have any questions, <laughs> if you have any questions, just shoot them over, I'll tell you. <laughs> Pronunciation questions and anything like that. That's really funny. Damn, didn't know that. Hmm. I had to Google it. I didn't yeah. know. It's top of my head. Um, but right. yeah, so um, there's tons of different analogs, and then there's also um, quite a few new ones that have also come out since um, Shulgin's syntheses. The Bromo Dragonfly, I, yeah. I believe we fall into those. Yeah. Yeah. Bromo Dragonfly. Isn't that a, it's like an amphetamine type combo with some, like, I guess it's psychedelic like type properties. Um, I think it's a structurally constrained. It's gonna look it up. Um, yeah, I don't know that it qualifies as a uh, psychedelic uh, amphetamine. Okay. Those are your your DOM or on the street known as serenity tranquility. Serenity. Ah. Um, all of those were prohibited very early on after their release. Oh, interesting. So it actually looks um, pretty similar to like two CB, yeah, because um, so which would be just like this without these rings, mm -hmm. um, and these would just be methylated. That's really cool. It's got a super long half life, right? Like uh, over thirty something hours. Twelve to eighteen. What's popped into my head, but uh, probably. Fact, and fact, they made fact, they actually made you. like they made a series <laughs> of uh, structurally constrained ones that all were extremely potent. Um, and had, I think, very long half-lives as well. The two, is that the 2CT series? Probably. So what is 2CB? I've, I've heard that one multiple times from this type of stuff. So the... Um, that was Shogun's like, favorite chemical he ever discovered, right? Uh, what was it? 2CB, I think. Mm -hmm. What yeah. was one of his... 2CE, he described as psychedelic tofu, so I don't think that was <laughs> the most favorite. Psychedelic um, tofu, what does that mean? It, it added to any of his other substances, but by itself was nothing to write home about. Ah. <laughs> he was a wordsmith. You gotta give it to him. <laughs> I'd never, I'd, if you left me a hundred years in the woods, I'd never come up with that analogy. <laughs> psychedelic tofu. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think that... Um, I guess I could talk a little bit about the medkin behind yeah. um, what they did, because it's kind of cool. Um, there's a series of different um, areas where you can start substitution. So um, I guess starting with the nitrogen of the phenethylamine, the amine part, um, you can do a series of different um, substitutions, including methyl, ethyl, propyl, butyl, isopropyl, and then um, since you can substitute twice, you can sort of mix and match all of those. So that alone is a ton of analogs. Um, and then uh, in terms of, um, I guess, all of the, the methoxy and hydroxy substitutions on, um, I guess it was mainly on 4, 5, and 6. So psilocybin is going to be um, the 4 position phosphate ester um, which is like a prodrug uh, which is another another quick point is um, since a lot of these do have um, hydroxyl group substitutions um, in order to get around uh, the legality of certain controlled substance Jumping substances where I can, the acetyl derivatives yeah you can do um, a series of different prodrugs uh, most commonly are like acetylated um, compounds that just get decetylated in your body and form the active um, the active drug. Mm -hmm. A great yeah. example of them finding a, a loophole under the purposes of research, not for consumption. Yeah. Obviously not. I've got to keep reiterating that. As <laughs> yeah. king, she's geeking out like crazy about this stuff. Again, we'd like to state, <laughs> this is for research purposes. You kill mice with this. You don't give it to people. Um. But yeah, so in addition to like the uh, in-substitutions, um, in, like I said, I guess four, five, and six position are probably the most common. Um, and then also 
in addition to the hydroxyl groups or methoxy groups, um, there's the methylene dioxys, which um, are structurally, it's similar to MDMA, what MDMA looks like. And those are my favorite because I think it looks like a little frog. <laughs> Let me see. Okay, hold on. Uh, if you look at it, Mike, you got to put it on the video. That's the problem. Shoot, AJ, mark this down. <laughs> Dioxy, methane, D-I-O-X-Y, methamphetamine. That's not at all methylene say, dioxide. Yeah, that does not look like <laughs> yeah. It looks like a stick. Uh, <laughs> shameful chem draw. Uh, methylene dioxide. It's cool, just like three, we were talking methylene dioxide. Methylene yeah. Methylene. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so see. psilocybin gets broken down uh, with a dephosphorylation reaction. I wonder how many times you can reverse that reaction and then have it be legal for some of these illegal analogs too. A great example of a psilocybin analog is acetylsilocetin. So psilocybin is metabolized to psilocetin or, or psilocin, yeah. and so the uh, acetylsilocetin is in the same way deacetylated and becomes psilocin. So that should. That. Hmm. Well, so I think that the psilocetin that's like the acetylated form because the acetin maybe is the acetyl psilocetin. I would never want to have this conversation if I had braces. Braces. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, be, just being a bit nervous and my mouth's a bit dry. It's not really going on. Like <laughs> way too many S's. It, it could is be, a lot of S's. It could be one of those, um, you know, she saw it. I'm not going to say it, but yeah, that's what it sounds like. Sells seashells by the seashore. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the methylene dioxy, which isn't that cute? Right. If you're listening say? to this podcast, you should Google what. Which one? This one? This one, yeah. Where's, Didn't it look like you? a little frog? With the growth coming off of him, what is yeah, that? Well, you know, it's like you a can, half you tadpole. You can substitute different legs on him. He's got a, he's, he's got a flagella coming off of, his to- off of his frog body. But look at his little face. I don't know. His <laughs> oxygens are up to something. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. So where can somebody go if they're like interested in this kind of stuff? Because I, I will say from... I was about to say no sourcing. From a, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Where can somebody buy these illegally up the internet? That's not what I was going with this. From I would say if you're really interested in, in you know psychiatry, pharmacotherapy in general, this is like, in my opinion, the best way to learn about all the different receptor signaling. And I mean, you you look at like the true pathway of like just the serotonin receptors. It's I pulled it up last night at this one that had been like completely sequenced, and I was like, this is preposterously too big. It was just so many different down pathway signaling and all this different stuff. If you're interested in that kind of stuff and, and you want to get a lot deeper knowledge as far as like, an SSRI is going to just give you more serotonin. There's a lot more to it than that. And then now all compounds are created differently, you know, the, the same. And now you're getting like stuff like velazodone and, um, you know, trintilix and things like that. Um, I would definitely say to kind of look at these as sort of like, how they structurally interact, you know, physiologically and whatnot, because it will help you will be a rock star, you know, not, you know, I assume, <laughs> <laughs> um, it'd be a rock star at uh, this receptor uh, knowledge. Um, but where would somebody go if they want to kind of learn more about like the med chemistry behind all this kind of receptor signaling and all that? Do you have a go-to source? Um, so I guess there's probably like a couple different ways to go about it. Um, depending on the compounds that you're interested in, um, obviously PCAL and TCAL are incredible resources. What is um, PCAL standing for phenethylamines I have known and loved. Oh, that's TCAL standing for tryptamines. Um, and so I think that those are great resources, but then, um, if you're interested in other, just like psychoactive chemicals, um, I mean, Arrowhead is a great resource, um, there's a lot of a lot of different websites, but um, also Reddit is a great place for um, information regarding um, specifically research chemicals. I would think gives um, you a good example of what not to do very oftentimes, <laughs> yeah. but in terms of gaining familiarity and knowing what it is or where you want to start and what to look up. Yeah, and what's what most common, like what uh, what you're most likely to see in like the patient population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. And if you're interested in the research side, Reddit Drug Nerds specifically links articles that are publicly available. You don't have to necessarily pay for many of them, but it's a good way to combine a little bit more than anecdotal data. What's it, what's it called? We've talked about Reddit Drug Nerds. Reddit Drug Nerds. Okay, cool. Um, and then, uh, Amelia, are you still doing Happy Pills? Yes, I am. Yeah. So if you guys don't follow Amelia on Instagram, her uh, 
her handle is just happy pills, right? One word? No, it's RX. Whatever. Just like core consult. <laughs> Did you copy core consult? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and humble brag, and Amelia basically started Happy Pills on my rotation. It's true. I'm the founder. I also am thoroughly addicted to the white monsters now. So Are you good? You can take I've credit had for 17 that as well. of them today. <laughs> so that's, this is my psychedelic. And that's right the sugar free. <laughs> it is sugar free because I'm a diabetes educator. So, so healthy. Nailed it. <laughs> my, I always feel weird though because I'll show, I'll, if my patients see me in the hallway, if I'm like walking in the clinic, like today I went to Monk's Corner that second half of the day, and one of my patients is sitting in the lobby and, and sees me walking with like two of these. I literally stop and like, sugar free. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not a hypocrite. Yeah, full of B vitamins too. Yeah, so many V vitamins. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm so healthy. <laughs> Minus the uh, COVID that we, me and Cole just had <laughs> not too long ago. That was fun. So, yeah. Um, anything else, guys? Trying to think of anything. Jordan, how much longer are you going to be in Charleston? You going back to USC? Not long enough. I would stay here permanently if I could. It's uh, way cooler than Columbia, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm from North Charleston, but oh, okay. in terms of what I get to see in the lab, and I've enjoyed all of it much, much more than anything else in school. But you guys have a football team. That's cool. I'm, I'm not a sports guy. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I would rather spend time in a lab, honestly, too. I like football. I do like football, but it, I, I think this stuff's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's a natural chemist. I've been impressed. Who? Jordan. Me? And, and you, of course, obviously. Who, me or Jordan? <laughs> I can just tell by looking. Mike earned his PhD throughout the course of this podcast. Oh, my God. So. I mean, it's the quickest thing. It's the quickest PhD that's ever been done. Mike is going to get an honorary doctorate from somebody I'm telling, somewhere tell, sometime yeah, in get, his life. You might be, like, knighted or no, something. No, <laughs> Sir Mike. Get Yuri on the phone. I'm going to talk to him. Get Peterson. He's going to give me my honorary one. He's on the wall, too, see? He is. So we got our awards together. Honestly, I was super flattered that I was on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right on. This is my square. Oh, you don't have one yet, AJ. You haven't earned that because you can't come to the podcast on time. <laughs> because you make the podcast go eight, 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 eight to 48 minutes late every time. You, you're not on the wall yet. Your yeah, spot's up there. What would you do without an executive work. producer? You know, that takes you to the next level. It I'm sure does. Saying. Mike was just a lot more distracted during the podcast before the executive producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was just a lot more going on with his hands and his eyes. And he would forget, like, I would say something and then he would say the exact same thing because he didn't oh, realize Did I really? Oh, man. You should tell, you should, you need to call me out on that. That way we can all laugh about it instead of people in the car. I just consider it, you know, reiteration for educational yeah. purposes. I just, I do have a bad tendency to do that, I'm sure. I well, wonder, you're less distracted now. We've got AJ. I wonder how many times I've done that. Do you, is it, somebody was, out there might count. Was it quite know. often? It was not uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just now hearing about this. I feel lied to. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Anything else, guys? Getting out of here? Thank you all for doing this. I know it's uh, getting late, but uh, you probably had a long day. But it's, this was fun. This is interesting. Yeah. So if you guys uh, do like this stuff, send me an email. Um, send me a DM on any of the social media platforms. Um, let us know. Maybe we can. Uh, I can talk Amelia into doing a like a mini series through, and you know, show more in depth detail about the stuff and the chemistry behind it. I would love that. Cool. All right. That was easy. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you know, like I said, if you have any questions for Cole or myself, um, social media platforms, or you can email us, it'll be in the show notes. Um, if you want more like lecture style formats, cause you don't like our tangents and our crappy jokes, um, check out Patreon. Um, that's where I have like all my PA lectures on there with PowerPoint slides and all that. And I think, I think the officially like with the hundred, the hundredth, um, lecture got posted this morning. Whoa. I think so a lot, there's like Congrats. thousands of PowerPoint slides. Um, and uh, yeah so check that out if you want it's like three bucks a month you can, you can do the three dollars and then rip all my slides off and then you'd be the cheapest thing you've ever that's what I did yeah, yeah I saw them executive <laughs> executive producer rights but uh, yeah check that out and then um, also I, I um, appreciate some of the comments we've gotten in emails um, I had a nurse practitioner um, leave a comment on um, our iTunes account saying that um, you know she really liked the podcast and um, kind of helped her be a, a better NP and that, that was very very cool to hear especially from you know a non-pharmacist like I'm a big believer in interprofessionalism and hearing uh, from our nurse practitioner colleagues and any other healthcare professionals is um, very very flattering so uh, I appreciate that and I know Cole does as well so yeah thank you guys for the support thanks for still listening to us after all this time we'll see you next time have a good one <laughs>